if you'd open your books, your Bibles, to the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel. Now, I'm going to be starting a, a new sermon series this morning, and I've entitled it Surviving Change. Because I think more than anyone in the Bible, I think Daniel went through more change in his life than just about anyone. Now, the book of Daniel kind of chronicles his whole life, but he lived through three different cultures, multiple kings, and yet he survived change by keeping his integrity intact, never compromising his faith. And he begins, when we look at this first chapter of Daniel, we're going to find that this is really a chapter that, if you will, if it, it looks at this idea of not compromising, being a person who's faithful to God, being someone who stands in the gap, remains faithful to God no matter what, doesn't compromise on what we believe in and what we hold to. And you see this throughout the whole Bible, people who have literally stood their ground not compromise, even to the point of death. If you think about perhaps in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, it starts out with Stephen, right? The first martyr. And he would not compromise when it came to Jesus Christ, and he gave his life for it. You see that with all the apostles, they were martyred for their faith, and on and on you could go throughout history. People who will not compromise what they believe. But as I began to think through this message, I began to think about what about the everyday situation? What about the little temptations that want to pull you, if you will, into compromising what you know is right, what you know is true in God's Word? What about those things? You know, I read a really interesting story about a woman, and she's a Christian woman, and she works for this pharmaceutical company. And this woman is a control inspector, and and these people, this company basically makes syringes. And there was a large syringe order that was contaminated, and she would have to be the person to sign off because of governmental controls to allow it to be released. And she went and brought that problem of contamination to her boss, and he did a real quick calculation on it and said, wow, ship that order. It's going to cost too much to rerun these things. Well, she stood her ground. She said, I can't sign that. I can't approve for you to send out a contaminated order. Well, the next day, which was Friday the president of the company comes into her office and says, if you don't change your mind, we're probably going to have to let you go, so I'm going to give you the weekend to think about it. If you were that woman, what would you do? Understand a little bit of the background. She was the sole financial support for her family. Her husband was in school. He was training to be a pastor, and there was pressure on her to compromise. If you were that woman what would you do? Well, we'll find out a little bit later what happens with that. (laughs) But this morning, we're going to talk about Daniel. And Daniel is a person who's put in many different situations, we'll find out through this whole book, but he stands fast. And what we'll see this morning are, are four practical lessons on how to fight compromise. Let's start. We're going to take this in sections. We'll start with verses 1 and 2. In the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hands, along with some vessels from the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God. And he brought the vessels into the treasury of his God. 
The first thing that we'll see this morning, we need to learn how to fight compromise. And we fight compromise by learning from the actions of others. Now, compromise always involves a cost. A lot of times, it looks like it's going to be a benefit if you compromise, but there's always long-term negative results. I want to give you a little bit of the background and setting in the book of Daniel. Most scholars believe that the book of Daniel was written somewhere around 536 to 530 B.C., and it was written by Daniel. That's about 600 years before Christ. And the book spans the whole life, pretty much, of Daniel. But the book is not really about Daniel. It's about what God is doing in the life of Daniel. And the book of Daniel is 12 chapters, and it's divided evenly. The first six chapters, chapters 1 through 6, really chronicle the life of Daniel and what God is doing in his life. It's biographical in nature. And the second set of verses, or, or chapters 7 through 12, contain a record of his visions. They're prophetic in nature. And the book begins here in chapter 1 with the siege and the captor, capture of Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar. Now, this siege and overthrow of Jerusalem took place in 605 B.C., but there were three deportations. That means they were pulling people away and taking them to Babylon. The first one was in 605. The second was in 597 B.C., and the third was in 586 B.C. And in the late spring or maybe early summer of 605, Nebuchadnezzar had fought with the Egyptian king, the pharaoh, And it was in a place called Kerkemesh. And after that battle, he kind of sweeps down to Jerusalem and he lays siege to Jerusalem. Now, the reason he did that is his father, Napopolassar, he was still the reigning king and he sent his son, Nebuchadnezzar, to face the pharaoh Necho of Egypt. Well, what what Nebuchadnezzar does is he comes down and he lays siege to Jerusalem. And while he's laying, laying siege to Jerusalem, his father dies. So Nebuchadnezzar goes back to Babylon and he takes some people with him. Daniel happens to be one of them. Now it begins here in chapter 1. It says, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah. What had happened with Judah is they had given their hearts over to idols. They compromised their faith. And Jehoiakim was king. He was the leader of that kingdom. And he compromised his faith and he brought all of Judah into his compromise. He was not faithful to look back at what Judah had been at the previous kings, at the way the people had had loved the Lord and served the Lord. If he would just have looked back, possibly he wouldn't have compromised. Look at chapter one and two, uh, verses 1 and 2. It says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the vessels of the house of God. King Jehoiakim and the people of Judah had not learned from those in the past. As a matter of fact, if they would have just thought about it, a hundred years earlier, Israel had compromised her faith. And God sent the Assyrian army to capture the northern tribes of Israel. They besieged Israel and they took them captive. And then the southern kingdom at that time of Judah, they were worshiping the true and living God under the king Hezekiah. And you would think, just remembering what had happened to Israel because they turned to idols, seeing what God did to them, 
that every king in Judah, they'd say, no way, no how will I ever give my heart over to an idol. And you'd think they would remember what happened, the great miracles that God did for Judah at that time. If you guys remember the story with Hezekiah, the Assyrian army laid siege on Jerusalem. And Hezekiah got before the Lord and he lays out this this letter basically calling for his surrender before God. And he cries out to God. And you know what God did? He sent an angel that night that wiped out 185,000 of the Assyrian army and they fled. A great and mighty miracle. And you would think these people of Judah, they would remember that. And not only that, Hezekiah got sick But God in his grace gave him a cure and God gave a warning. And he gave a warning through the prophet Isaiah, do not turn your hearts to idols. Listen, Isaiah chapter 39 verses 5 through 8. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and all that is in your father's house laid up in store to this day will be carried away to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord. And some of your sons who will issue from you, whom you will beget, will be taken away, and they will become officials for the palace of the king of Babylon. Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, the word of the Lord that you have spoken is good. For he thought, for there will be peace and truth in my days. You see, after Hezekiah was healed, some emissaries from Babylon came down. And unfortunately, Hezekiah in his pride showed him the whole kingdom, all the riches of the kingdom. And then God gave that warning. Right there, you would think that the people of Judah, you'd think that the kings of Judah would remember, but they didn't. Now, Hezekiah's son was Manasseh. Manasseh reigned as king. Manasseh turned from the true and living God right after everything that happened with his father, and he turned to idols. 2 Kings 21, verses 1 and 2 says, Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king, and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord according to the abominations of the nations of whom the Lord dispossessed from the sons of Israel. Manasseh hadn't learned the lesson. He didn't look back, first of all, at his father who was faithful. And he didn't look back at Israel who had rejected God. He didn't learn from their mistakes. And at Manasseh's death, his son Josiah became king. And Josiah was a good king. Josiah had a good and soft heart before God. And when Manasseh became king, they lost the scriptures. For 55 years, the people of Judah didn't have the scriptures. And during Josiah's reign, they were discovered in the temple, and they were brought to Josiah, and they were read to him. And his response was one of repentance. Listen to 2 Kings 22, verses 15 through 20. What Josiah did is he calls the prophet Huldah and he asks her what he should do. And this is what was her response. She said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Tell the man who sent you to me, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will bring evil on this place and on its inhabitants, and even all the words of the book which the king of Judah has read, because they have forsaken me and burned incense to the other gods, that they might provoke me to anger with all the work of their hands. Therefore my wrath burns against this place and it shall not be quenched. But to the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, thus say this to him. Thus says the Lord God of Israel regarding the words which you have heard. Because your heart was tender, and you humbled yourself before the Lord, 
when you heard what I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that they should become a desolation and a curse. You have torn your clothes and you have wept before me. And I truly have heard you, declares the Lord. Therefore, behold, I will gather you to your fathers and you will be gathered to your grave in peace and your eyes will not see all the evil which I will bring on this place. Josiah had a soft and tender heart. And when he recognized the sins of his father, he repented for their sins. That's humility, guys. And God recognized his heart. And God forgave him. And God gave him peace all the days of his life. And God held off judgment. When you compromise, there's a cost. There is a wage that's going to be weighed towards you. And sometimes when we look at compromise, we think the benefit is now, just like that woman, right? She's saying, well, if I sign that, then I'll keep my job. There's pressure to compromise. But the long-term results can be disastrous. After Josiah's death, his son Jehoahaz became king. Jehoahaz compromised. He served other gods. He only lived three months. Then um, his brother became king. Listen to this. Pharaoh Necho made Eliakim. This is 2 Kings 23, verses 34 through 37. Pharaoh Necho made Eliakim, the son of Josiah, king in the place of Josiah, his father. And he changed his name to Jehoiakim. And he took Jehoahaz away and brought him to Egypt, and he died there. And Jehoiakim was 25 years old when he became king, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his fathers had done. Jehoiakim had an opportunity right there. He had an opportunity to look back and say, okay, I see that my father was a good man and he loved God and God was faithful to him. I mean, my grandfather. But my father was an evil king. He compromised. And that compromise not only cost him, but it cost the whole kingdom of Judah. And the Babylonians came in and they seized the kingdom. Hear me on this. You do not want to dishonor the Lord. The Lord wants us to honor him by our actions. He wants us to be faithful. Because compromise has a cost. Jehoiakim's compromise not only impacted him, it impacted the whole kingdom. If he would have repented, I believe the same thing would have happened to him that happened with Josiah. That God would have relented. That God would have blessed the kingdom. Look at Daniel chapter 1 verse 2. It says that the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. It was God, not Nebuchadnezzar, that caused the fall of Judah. Not only that, along with some of the vessels of the house of God, he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and he brought the vessels into the treasury of his God. Two things were taken from Judah, people and the vessels from the temple. Now, if you're Nebuchadnezzar, you think that your gods are more powerful. You had a victory. And he took the vessels from the temple and he placed them in his temple thinking, my gods are superior. What he doesn't understand is that appearances are deceiving. This was all planned by God. This was judgment on Judah. This was punishment for their compromise because they did not learn from others. 
My father was a man who loved his family. My father was a man of compromise. My father was given over to drink and to lust. And those two things wrecked havoc in my family. My father was unfaithful to my mother. And because of his unfaithfulness, it just shattered us. Six kids, our family exploded. I remember it well. I was like eight years old when the fighting started. And our family crumbled because of his compromise. Now, the reason I share this is because I have three brothers. And you would think from what we experienced, just the nightmare from that, that we would all be faithful no matter what. But two of my brothers, before they knew the Lord, did exactly the same thing that my father did. And their families were destroyed. Church, hear me on this. Don't compromise. Stand fast in the word of God. Be true to him above all else. Now, some people think, well, Pastor Rob, don't you have to experience something first before you can really learn it? No, (laughs) you don't have to. Look at the results of others. It's a much better way to go. First thing we learn, we fight compromise by learning from the actions of others. There's a second thing. We fight compromise by obeying God's word above all else. Understanding what God desires from his word, it's going to guard your heart. And it will help you in that time that you're tempted to compromise. Look at verses 3 through 8. Then the king ordered Asphenaz, the chief of the officials, to bring some of the sons of Israel, including some of the royal family and the nobles, youths in whom there was no defect, who were good-looking, showing intelligence of every branch of wisdom, endowed with understanding and discerning in knowledge, who had ability for serving the king's court, and he ordered him to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. The king appointed for them daily ration from the king's choice food and from the wine which he drank, and appointed that they should be educated three years, and at the end of that which they were entered into the king's personal service. Now among them from the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Then the commander of the officials assigned them new names, assigned new names to them. To Daniel he assigned the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah Shadrach, to Mishael Meshach, and to Azariah Abednego, or Abednego, some say it. But Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. So he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. Now, I was helped greatly by the MacArthur studies on this, and so I'm going to kind of share some of the things that he shared with me. I hope it benefits you. A key to not compromising is knowing your identity. Knowing who you are in Christ. And when you're solid in your faith, when that temptation comes to compromise, guys, you'll stand You'll stand because you're in Christ. You need to understand, these Chaldeans, they were were smart. This Babylonian culture, what they would do is they would capture a people group and then they'd blend them into their culture. They would have to take people who had a certain mindset, a certain way of thinking, and they'd have to change their thinking. That's very difficult to do with a whole culture. And so what they would do is they'd take these people captive And then they would take certain people from their culture and they'd make them leaders over them. And that's what they do here. 
As a matter of fact, if you look at verse 3, it says, Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of the officials, to bring some of the sons of Israel, including some of the royal family and of the noble and of the nobles. And so they were looking for young men, nobles. And they wanted those that were kind of sophisticated and they were young and they were good looking. They wanted to get those who were physically attractive, that were smart, so that when they came into the scene, that they, they'd be viewed like, wow, there's something special about this person. Look at verse 4. Youths in whom was no defect, who were good-looking, showing intelligence in every branch of wisdom, endowed with understanding, discerning knowledge, who had the ability for serving the king's court, and he ordered them to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. They wanted to educate them in the Chaldean way. But they needed to change their identity. They needed to change who they thought they were. And so what they do is they begin to change in in a three-step process to try to, if you will, brainwash them to make them part of the Chaldean culture. And so in that first deportation came Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So the Chaldeans had a three-step plan. Notice verse 7. The first thing the Babylonians do is they change their names. They change their names. They change Daniel's name to Belteshazzar. Then also, they give them, I mean, they give them Chaldean names, Belteshazzar, Shadrach, Mishiach, and Abednego. And all four of those names, they have incorporated into them the Chaldean deities. They reference the gods of the Chaldeans. Because they understood for the Hebrews, their name was connected or linked to their culture, to their God. And so they need to pull them away, if you will, from their God. Daniel's Chaldean name was Belteshazzar, but most of the scholars I read was interesting. They, they, they think his real name was Bel Belteshazzar. Bel means protect his life. Belteshazzar contains the name of a Babylonian god. They're thinking probably Marduk, and Marduk was the head of the pantheon of gods there in the Chaldean culture. And basically, it would be like Marduk will protect your life was kind of what Daniel's name would mean. Hananiah was called Shadrach, which meant under the command of Aku. Aku was a moon god, so he was under the command of the moon god. Mishael received the name Meshach, which means to represent who is what Aku is. It means being empowered by Aku. Then Azariah's name was changed to Abednego. That means the servant of Nebo. He's the son of Marduk, that pantheon god. So the Chaldeans first changed the names. They want to change their identities They want to identify themselves with their gods. Second step of the plan was to change their beliefs through education. If you look at verse 5, it says, appointed that they should be educated three years. If you will, they indoctrinate them with Chaldean culture. They educate them in everything that they believe. They try to fill their minds with what they believe, their false gods, everything within their culture. They change their names, they educate them. Then there's a third thing they did. They need to change their lifestyle. They need to change what they eat and drink, maybe how they dress. They want to change all that. They want to totally get them out of their culture. Look at verse 5. It says, The king appointed for them a daily ration from the king's choice food and from the wine which he drank. And he appointed that they should be educated three years. And at the end of that, they were to enter into the king's personal service. So change their names. Get their education going. Change their lifestyle. And it's interesting with these four men is they're okay with the first two, but they won't budge on the third. 
So they accept the first two, but they won't budge on the third. In fact, if you look at verse 8, it says, But Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food and with the wine which he drank. Now, why didn't they give in to the third one? Because I think they knew potentially that was a dangerous issue. Because they saw in the word of God. The word of God says, do not eat those things. And what Daniel and his friends do is they draw a line in the sand. And they say, I will not cross this. The word of God says, no, no. There's a point there. Do that. If the word of God is clear, don't cross it. You don't want to compromise on the word of God. If they had been given over to the lifestyle of the Chaldeans, they would have sinned. And the same thing goes with our culture. If you give in to our world system, you'll sin. When you start acting like our world, being like everybody else, doing exactly and thinking like everybody else, you'll sin against God and you'll compromise the word of God. But particularly for these men, here's some of the reasons why it would have been sin. First of all, they knew that that food had been offered to idols beforehand. In the Chaldean culture, particularly the food given to the king, it would be offered to idols. Now, an idol is nothing, so it doesn't eat any of the food, right? So they would bring it now to the king's table, and they'd expect those men to eat of it. Where their conscience was sensitive, they couldn't eat food offered to idols. But second, beyond that, the law of God had strict dietary laws and standard for Jews. Now, we have a lot more freedom in Christ, don't we? Amen. But they were clear on this one. And it was crystal to them. That line had been drawn in the sand. But you need to understand that the reason those dietary laws are there, it's a lot more than just health reasons. It's really for separation reasons. It was a way to keep the Jews pure, a way to keep them separated from the cultures that they would be involved in. The dietary laws were for separation reasons. Because it wasn't only just the food, it was what went along with the food. It was a big deal in a lot of the cultures, especially the Chaldean culture. It wasn't just to have a meal together, kind of like on a quiet evening at a nice little table. No, these were like parties. And a lot of drinking and a lot of crazy stuff would go on in these festivals and eating times. And they knew if they gave their heart over to that, they're done. They're lost. Guys, when it's clear in the Word of God, if you're trying to figure out if this is a compromise or not, and you see it, don't do it. Trust me on this. The cost is great. These young men, by the way, they're only about 15 years old. Young. But they're solid in the word of God. They know what they believe, why they believe, and it's clear in scripture. And if you can't figure out why you keep compromising, maybe you haven't drawn a line. Maybe you don't know what the word of God says. Let me encourage you. Learn it. Know it. Are you trusting God that this truly is his word and that it's for you? And here's some tests for you to find out. First, do you compromise in your relationships? Do you feel that the scriptures apply to you in this area? Are you remaining pure? Do you know that the Bible says that to have sex with anyone outside of marriage is a sin? Are you honoring God in that way? Are you unequally yoked? Are you playing a game with somebody you know you should not be? They don't know Christ, but you do. You've crossed over that line and you're in compromise. Are you compromising with your words? Do you gossip? Do you speak about people behind their backs? Do you speak evil about someone? Do you use foul language? 
Do you listen to foul language? Are you willing to watch a movie? No big deal. A bunch of F-bombs. Who cares? It's just a movie. It matters to God. How about music? These things matter. Are you in compromise? How about with your money? Wait a minute, Pastor Rob. Now you're pushing. Are you a faithful steward with what God has given you? Do you understand by the word of God that everything that we have is His? Are you faithfully giving? Are you saving? Are you helping others with the resources that God has given you? Are you being faithful? Are you gambling with God's money? Are you faithful to what God has given you? How about your time? Are you faithful with the time that God's given you? Are you faithful at work? If you have an eight-hour day, do you give them your all in that eight hours? How about with your family? Do you use that time that you have with your family as a way to be with them and honor God with it? Or do you allow things to steal your time, too much TV, video games, whatever it is? God calls us to be men and women without compromise. The best way to do that is to obey the Word of God like Daniel and his friends. You know, I read a book. It's entitled Over the Edge, Death in the Grand Canyon. And uh, the writer's name is Michael P. Galeri. And what he does is he chronicles about 700 deaths that occurred in the Grand Canyon since the 1870s. And most people, I, I don't think, are surprised that people die in the Grand Canyon. It's like 200, what is it, 277 miles long. It's 18 miles wide. It's, at the deepest part, over 6,000 feet deep. And it can get well over 100 degrees there, so a lot of people can die from heat stroke and so on. Some people die from planes that have crashed. They've had a couple people die from floods. But the number one reason people die is they fall over the edge. Okay, and you go, well, why would they do that? Well, that's a tragedy, but the tragedy is that there are signs everywhere, and I mean everywhere posted in the Grand Canyon. In 1992, there was a 38-year-old father that would jokingly try to frighten his teenage daughter. And by leaping onto a guardrail, he kind of flailed his arms and he pretended to lose his balance. And he fell over the guardrail and he fell onto a ledge that he thought, thought was safe. And as soon as he hit that ledge, it crumbled and he fell 400 feet to his death. In 2012, an 18-year-old woman who was hiking on the North Rim Trail decided to venture off the beaten path to have her picture taken at a spot known as Inspiration Point. She wanted to get closer to the edge, so she went all the way to the edge. She sat down, and it crumbled, and she fell 1,500 feet to her death. And the sad part about that is there were signs posted that said, do not pass this point. Can I tell you, there is a sign. (laughs) And a lot of times, it just says, don't do this. Church, listen. If you're in compromise, look at the Word of God. It'll tell you. Trust in the Word of God. It's God's Word to help us as a protection for us. Now, some of you are saying, well, Pastor Rob, that's easy for you. You're a pastor. You're in a church all day, but I live in the real world, and everybody I live with compromises. A lot of people do, but God's people are called not to. Let me share a verse with you from Psalm 1. Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3 says, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor seat in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. And he'll be like a tree that's firmly planted with streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And whatever he does, he prospers. We fight compromise by obeying God's word. 
above all else. We fight compromise by learning from the actions of others. Third thing, we fight compromise by determining ahead of time not to sin against God. The best way to fight a battle is to be prepared. Go into that battle prepared. You've already got your lines drawn. You know I will not go do this thing. Look at verses 8 through 16. It says, But Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine that he drank. So he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. Now God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander and the officials. And the commander of the officials said to Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord, the king, who has appointed you your food and your drink. For why should, you see, should he see your faces looking more haggard than the youths for your own age? Then you would make me forfeit my head to the king. But Daniel said to the overseer whom the commander of the officials had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Please test your servants for ten days, and let us be given some vegetables to eat and some water to drink, and let our appearance to, to be observed in your presence and the, and the appearance of the youths who are eating the king's choice food, and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter, and he tested them for ten days. And at the end of that ten days, their appearance seemed to be better, and they were fatter than all the youths that had been eating at the king's choice food. So the overseer continued to withhold their choice food and the wine which they were to drink, and he kept giving them vegetables. Now in verse 8, Daniel had predetermined in his mind that he would not defile himself with food or drink. Daniel and their friends, they were clear. They had that line that they couldn't cross over. And if you think about the way it was for them, there was nobody looking over their shoulder. They were out of Jerusalem. They're in a foreign land. I mean, there's nobody there. They could compromise, no big deal. Who's going to know? They knew, God knows. So in their mind, they predetermined, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to compromise my God. Now, when you obey God, here's a key. It always involves risk. It's not always comfortable to obey God. You ever notice that? Sometimes there's always like, oh my gosh, Lord, really? Yeah, really. Oftentimes, God wants us to risk big for him. And what he wants us to do is to trust him in that risk. Guys, there are risks to holiness. There are risks to being a believer and a follower of Christ. And when we understand that principle, it will help us to stand fast. And one of the main principles to know is that everything good that comes to us is from God. And when we're sure that, it, that this compromise may look like a benefit, but if we know it's going against God, it will offend Him. But when we understand that everything good comes from Him, we can say, Lord, I trust You more than anything. James 1.17 says, Every good thing and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting of shadow. And Daniel knows when he says no to the king, he's basically saying no to the king's authority. He's taking a risk. Basically, he's putting his head on the chopping block. But he's willing to do that. And it says here that he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. And I think the commander of the officials understands that he's talking about something spiritual. By defiling himself, he's basically saying, hey, I, I have a law in the word of God. I have, I have this this thing spiritually that I have to hold to, would you listen to me and allow me not to compromise, not to go against my conscience? Daniel had this idea, and it's a good idea, that if he obeys God, God will bless it. 
that if he's faithful, he has the blessings of God. Look at verses 9 and 10. Now God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander of the officials. And the commander of the officials said to Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord, my king, who has appointed your food and your drink. Why should he see your faces look more haggard than the youths who are your age? Then you would make them forfeit my head to the king. Because of Dan's, Daniel's faithfulness, because of his obedience, God granted him favor. He blessed him. And he went in and he basically made this leader have compassion for him. I don't know if you ever pray this for people, but oftentimes people who are going into a job interview, I pray that God will give them favor with that person, that God will do the work on whoever that interviewee is for them. That he'll do the work on the heart because our God can change the heart of a king. Literally, Proverbs 21.1 says, the heart of a king is like channels of water in the hands of the Lord and he turns it wherever it will go. So the Lord worked on Aspenaz's heart for Daniel's sake. And Daniel has the boldness to step out and do what's right. He has the boldness to take a big risk for God. Look at verses 11 through 14. Because he's willing to risk big for God, God gives him wisdom. In 11 it says, Daniel said to the overseer whom the commander of the officials had appointed for Daniel and Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah, Please test your servants for 10 days and let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. And then let our appearances to be observed in your presence and in the appearance of the youths who are eating the king's choice food. And deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and he tested them for 10 days. Daniel says, hey, just give us some vegetables to eat. Just test us in this way. And I think there's probably some workout buffs that are saying, no, wait a minute, Pastor Rob, there's no protein in that diet, they're going to lose muscle mass, right? Understand, it wasn't about the vegetables. It was about faith and trusting God. I think Daniel's expecting a miracle here. He knows he's taking a risk. And he's just saying, I'm going to trust that God will provide because I need to be faithful to his word. Now, I don't know if this is true, but it looks like Asphahaz, the chief of the officials, may have turned him down because Daniel, in verse 11, goes to the overseer. Now, it's interesting when I read that, I think, huh, I wonder, I wonder if that's true. It doesn't really say specifically, but kind of what I got out of this is he doesn't stop. So if Asphanas says no, Daniel says, well, I can't disagree with the word of God, so I'm just going to keep pressing in. He goes to the, to the overseer instead, and that's a, a principle for us guys. Sometimes God may not make it happen just because you obey him the first time. He may be testing you to see if you'll stick to your guns. You'll comprom- you won't compromise no matter what. And, Dan- and God came through for Daniel and his friends. At the end of 10 days, their appearance seemed better, and they were fatter than all the ewes who had been eating the king's choice food. So the overseer continued to withhold the choice food and vegetables. God blessed it, and they were able to not compromise from their heart. A couple months ago, my daughter's husband, his name is Sam, he's been working for this company about a year, and when he got that job, he, he told them one thing. He said, look, I'm a Christian, and, and I want Sundays off because I'm newly married and I want Sundays to be with my wife so we can go to church and we can have that day as our day. I'll work any other day. And they hired him. Well, about two months ago, they had a new manager come on and this manager was very upset that he wasn't working Sundays. And so this manager started giving him a really hard time. You know, hey man, how come you don't work Sundays? And he says, well, I made a commitment to my wife and, and I can't do that. And so I'm not gonna break that commitment to her and I made a commitment to the Lord that we're gonna have church on Sundays and we just spend the day together. 
And this man got angry, and he said, hey, who's paying your bills, the church or us? And so what he did is he cut Sam's hours. And Sam was only getting minimal hours. And so Sam knew he had to find another job, but he stuck to his guns. He has a really close friend, and his, his close friend had a job where he was a salesman on the phone, and he was let go a few days after he had that conversation with his manager. And his friend was actually let go from a job, and he's walking down the hallway in the business complex where he is, and he runs into somebody that he kind of knew as an acquaintance. And he shared with this man, because he used to coach this man's kids, that he had just lost his job. And this guy goes, wow, I'm actually looking for some people to hire. What were you doing? Phone sales. He goes, I'm with a company that does phone sales. He hired his friend right on the spot. And then he says, do you have any friends? (laughs) The Lord provided a job for Sam, and Sam is working there today because he wouldn't compromise. Sam was willing to just take a stand and say, you know what? I'm not going to compromise my commitment to the Lord. We, we, we fight compromise by determining ahead of time not to sin against God. We learn from the actions of others. We obey God's word. There's a final one. We fight compromise by trusting in God's faithful provision. Faithful provision. Now, God calls us to be faithful because he is faithful. Look at verses 17 through 21. It says, As for these four youths, God gave them knowledge and intelligence in every branch of literature and wisdom, Daniel, he understood all kinds of visions and dreams. And then at the end of the days, which the king had specified for presenting them, the commander of the the officials presented them before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king talked with them. And out of them all, not one was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered into the king's personal service. And as for the matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king consulted them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and conjurers who were in his realm. And Daniel continued until the first year of Cyrus, the king. It says here, as for these four youths, God gave them special abilities. Because of their faithfulness and their trust in God's provision, God prepared them for the work. God gave them their gifts. Do you guys understand the abilities that you have and the gifts that you have are from God? The fact that you're good at your job, you're able to do the things that you do, these are special gifts that God gives you. He's made you. He's made you a certain way. And what sometimes God does in his provision, he actually uses trials as the provision. And we're thinking, wait a minute. Sometimes that testing, that difficulty, that temptation is used by God as a provision for something that's coming down the road. It's a preparation The first thing we see about that is it's a preparation for spiritual battles that lie ahead. This is, is it seems like a big deal right now, but trust me, Daniel's going to be in some pretty tough stuff in the next chapters that we come to. And he's going to have to make some hard decisions and not compromise. And by taking a stand in a small thing, it prepares us to take a stand in bigger things. Because he will not compromise his God. So God will will often use a preparation for spiritual battles that lie ahead. He uses that thing that's happening right now in your life. And I don't know where you're at right now. I don't know what you're being tempted with. I don't know what you're going through. Stand fast. Trust the Lord. Because there might be something around the corner that's even greater. And you want God's provision then. Trust me. Also, by being prepared, we're being protected from the consequences of our enemy's victories. Daniel's going to face even greater battles that are going to be a lot more than just testing his diet. 
Daniel was without defilement. He honored the Lord with his life. And so when the next battle comes, he has the protection of God. Do you get that? Sometimes when we give in to the compromise, God will lift his protecting hand. He's going to say, you want it? You got it. Now experience the consequence of your actions. Trust me, a much better way, say, Lord, I'm not going to compromise. I want to have your protection over me at all times. A third thing that God does is he calls his people to holiness. And then what God does is he rewards you for that. Because Daniel and his friends' obedience, God overwhelmingly blessed them with these spiritual gifts. And he prepared them to be used in this kingdom actually as a sign of the true and living God in a pagan culture. Because they were faithful to this one thing where they didn't eat the king's food. And God helped them to be successful in this new position because they took a stand in this thing. And not only that, he was faithful for over 70 years for Daniel. If you look at verse 21, it says, And Daniel continued until the first year of Cyrus the king. Cyrus began rule in 535 B.C. And as we go through the book of Daniel, you'll see this. He's been faithful and faithful and faithful, and God protects and God protects and God provides and God protects throughout the whole thing. He prepared, he prepared them, he protected them, he rewarded them because they were faithful not to compromise. Now remember that Christian woman I told you about at the beginning of the message? Well, she decided that she would not sign that order. She wouldn't have let it go. And so that coming Monday, the boss came in and she was fired. And so you're thinking, wait, where's God's protection there? Well, what happened was because she didn't sign that release, the order was delayed. And the company that it was supposed to go to, the head of management there started looking in. Why didn't we receive this order? And as he started to investigate, he learned that this woman would not release it and was fired for her actions. He appreciated that so much, he contacted her. He hired her for the same job in his company and he gave her a raise. She was faithful. She trusted in the provision of God. And that's what God's calling us to do, isn't it? To be faithful, even in the little things. And then he'll give you so much more. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the word of God. I thank you how it ministers to it and helps us to understand your will and your way. And Lord, we confess that this is the, the tough part of the Christian life. Lord, we want to be faithful but it's so hard sometimes in the world that we live in to remain just faithful to you and not to compromise what we know is true. Would you help each of us today to be that child that you're calling us to be? Would you help us to stand firm in the truth that you've made clear to us that others may see and that they'll know that there is truly a true and living God? And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Sometimes with a message like this, there's a sense of kind of conviction, like, Pastor Rob, you don't understand. I have already failed in this area, and I feel like God has closed that door of protection on me, and that that door of of allowing and, and providing for me. Can I tell you something? The door wasn't closed. You're here today for the door to be opened. If God has made you aware of something in your life where you say, you know what, I've been in compromise in this area, it's very simple. 
God wants you to repent. He wants you to say, you know what? I'm going to turn from that thing. Just like Josiah did. When he recognized what it was, he just said, you know what? I repent. And when you do that, the blessings of God can come. For there are no, there's no condemnation for those of us in Christ Jesus. But our daily life is spent coming before the Lord in honesty. And if we fail, we bring it before him plainly. And we call it for what it is. And we turn. And we turn to him. I want us to bow our heads. I don't need a show of hands. If this is you, I want to lead you in a prayer to make it right with God. Let's pray together, folks. Well, Father, I don't know who you've brought into this sanctuary. And I don't know what's happening in their lives or what maybe they've done, Lord, that displeases you, but they know. And Father, I pray this prayer with them. And if this is you, you can pray this prayer to yourself. Lord, I recognize that I've compromised. I know I haven't honored you with my life the way you want me to. But God, I turn from that. I lay it down. I won't do it anymore. Help me to put it away. Help me to be free. And I turn to you. Lord, I confess I'm a sinner. And I put my faith and my trust in Jesus Christ alone for forgiveness. I want to be faithful. Help me to be that person. Faithful. And today I walk out free. Today I walk out new. Fully committed to you. In Jesus' name, amen.